Everyone knows Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication between law enforcement and the community. Over the course of the last year, we have become painfully aware of the very negative headlines national media projected across the country regarding all law enforcement agencies. Over the last several months, and after numerous investigations, we have learned that these negative headlines did not tell the whole story, but rather painted a picture designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. Law Matters wants you to hear all the facts so you can decide for yourself. As these investigations conclude, these stories will be featured on our Truth Matters page on lawmatters1030.org website. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We have a lot to cover today, so we're going to get right to it. In the studio, we have Pima County Attorney Laura Conover and Tracy Miller. But on the phone, we have Hal Kempfer, and he's going to give us the update on what's happening with global security. I think it's gone past Ukraine and he is the CEO of Global Risk Intelligence Planning. Good morning, Hal. What's going on? Good morning, Sherry. Well, a lot of things are happening around the world. Um, of course, the war in Ukraine is still going going forth. Uh, it caused a lot of, uh, there was a lot of concern with uh, Putin last week talking about putting um, uh, nuclear weapons in Belarus. However, uh, not the first time he's made nuclear threats uh, and of course, his, uh, every time he has big setbacks on the battlefield with his conventional forces, he always raises the specter of nuclear weapons. Uh, as far as anyone can tell, there's nothing substantive that's been done, but, uh, but that did cause a lot of concern. Uh, interesting stuff this week, though, uh, with Bakhmut. Uh, even though the Russians have taken a, a good chunk of that city, which has become kind of a centerpiece of the, of Russian strategy, the Ukrainians have uh, done a great job of defending it. And uh, General Milley, the uh, uh, chief of staff, um, or I should say the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, of the U.S., uh, actually uh, kind of called it a, uh, a, a basically a slaughter fest, which has got an interesting choice of terms. But it's, uh, but it's become an amazing uh, center point where the Ukrainians have been able to inflict huge attrition on the Russian forces that's setting the stage for the spring offensive. And, and if I could just say something about the spring offensive, we're starting to see those, uh, those main battle tanks, the, the British Challenger two tanks, the German Leopard two tanks are now starting to flow into Ukraine. Uh, the, you know, the numbers are not overwhelming right now. Uh, I was counting somewhere, somewhere close to 40 for Leopard twos that are going in there. And uh, I think the first 14 of the Challenger 2s, not big numbers, but but these are incredibly capable tanks. At the same time, the Russians are pulling old T-54, 55 tanks, 70-year-old tanks out of mothballs, uh, some would say out of museums, and putting those out there. And everyone says they're not going to survive. They're just, they're, they're, whoever gets assigned to those tanks, you know, might want to write a letter home. Because uh, they're in the kind of a kam- so, kamikaze mission. Uh, it's pretty much, and uh, it's simply to be able to show that they're tanks in the battlefield, but they're just not survivable. Wow, so much happening. Yeah, uh, I also should mention uh, something else making the news. Uh, the president of Taiwan, um, uh, President um, uh, Tsai, was in New York. Uh, of course, the Chinese are making a lot of noises about that. The Chinese are also flying missions and putting ships around Taiwan at the same time. 
Uh, they're very upset that that she's there in New York, you know, not that far from the UN. And now she's down in Central America. And of course, you know, this last week, Honduras, uh, one of the few countries left that recognizes Taiwan as a as the you know nation of uh, China. Uh, they switched over to the People's Republic of China. She's now in Guatemala, which still recognizes uh, Taiwan or the Republic of China as the legitimate government of China. But that group is getting smaller and smaller uh, every day. And then she's going to California, where she's going to meet with uh, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. And uh, and China, and uh, Beijing's been making a lot of noise about that, very upset, trying to equate that with uh, Pelosi visiting Taiwan. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, there's basically a, a lot of things going on around the world uh, in that regard. Sounds like people are taking sides. Well, they, they are. Uh, there, there is sort of a stratification taking up. Uh, one thing is we're seeing this emerging block, which gets stronger and stronger every day, uh, Russia, Iran, China, and, and to a lesser degree, North Korea. Um, Russia is still hitting up North Korea for uh, more ammunition because they're simply running out of ammunition. One thing I should mention on the battlefield is uh, they're, they're running out of, uh, obviously, you know, major <clears throat> armor systems, things like that. But interestingly, a thing that just came up is they're they're – the Ukrainians have been very good at knocking out uh, air defense radars. Those are uh, high-value assets, if you will, for the Russians, and there's not a lot of them, and they're associated with their air defense weapons. All of this is setting the ground, uh, the, setting the ground or, or, or creating the, uh, the uh, conditions that will allow them to do a uh, rapid counteroffensive this spring. I don't know if that's going to happen in – when in April or, or possibly even in May, uh, but they're putting all the forces in place to make this happen. And interestingly, uh, there's been more and more estimates talking about the fact that the Russians just are, are simply losing steam, that their winter offensive has stalled out completely. And whereas we kind of look at it from our standpoint and say, well, the ground isn't moving that much, it's a stalemate. It's not a stalemate if you're looking at it from a strategic perspective. You have this overwhelming Russian force that, that for example, in B- the Bakhmut area, they have lost 30,000-plus troops, and they've moved maybe 15 miles. That's uh, it. That's and, huge. Uh, so, yeah, so for the Ukrainians, this, this, off, this defense has uh, offensive characteristics, if you will, in that it's, it's basically – causing the Russians to lose so many forces that they will need to uh, resist a counteroffensive by the Ukrainians that uh, I'm anticipating that when the Ukrainians do hit them uh, and they punch a hole, you, you may see some not just, not just rapid movement across terrain, but you might see the uh, Russian forces around them start to uh, kind of fall apart, maybe even a rout. That's that's really sad for the Russians because I I understand too that they're forcing people to join the military. It isn't here you have a choice. It's like go do this, and some of them are actually uh, defecting. Well, some are uh, interesting. Uh, uh, an interesting thing has happened with the the Wagner group. Those mercenaries, uh, they've been kind of falling apart across the board uh, just because they they can't recruit like they have been and. It looks like their Ministry of Defense has been withholding a lot of resources. But the reports out now are a lot of the Wagner troops that are in Bakhmut 
are somewhat terrorized or traumatized, they, they will stay and fight and die in their positions because they're less afraid of dying at the hands of the Ukrainians than if they were to fall back because if they fall back, the, the Russians have, you know, the Wagner group has groups that will summarily execute them in a, a rather cruel fra- fashion. Wow. And, uh, and we're starting to see that with other Russian units, too, where they have these, these groups behind the lines. This is something out of World War II, where they have these uh, battalions behind the lines that when these troops, if Russian troops fall back, they, uh, they basically just haul them out and, um, and, and summarily execute them for cowardice or, 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 or some other trumped-up charge. I was going to say, make but it up a, as you go along. That's yeah, pretty but sad. It the, but does keep them there, but it really kind of limits maneuver because nobody wants to move around the battlefield in such a way that it can be misinterpreted because of the consequences. Right. So, yeah. That's sad. So, well, Hal, I yeah. appreciate you coming on and, and giving us an update on everything that's happening, not everything, but most of the things that are happening over there. Uh, a few things out there, yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, thanks, Sherry. We'll All talk right. to you soon. <laughs> okay, thanks. All right, bye-bye. Okay, in the studio, we have Pima County Attorney Laura Conover and Tracy Miller's here. And March, or April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and I know you're going to have a, a huge event here Pretty soon. You want to tell us about what's happening on Wednesday? Yes, absolutely. Good morning. Good and morning. this is Laura and I am I'm very honored this morning to be joined by our bureau chief for the special victims unit, Tracy Miller. And while every day um around the year um sexual assault is is of high import in the county attorney's office, um April is going to be um, a particularly special special month. Do, Tracy, do you want to talk about the, the kickoff? So, as Laura said, um, it is an honor to be here. Sherry, thank you for having us this Anytime. morning. Um, our lawyers in our office do spend most of, well, all the year, not even most of the year, prosecuting cases um, involving sex assault. And for April to be Sex Assault Awareness Month, makes us particularly proud to be out in the community to be able to raise the level of awareness through the um, SACASA Sex Assault Awareness Month starts on April 5th for our kickoff at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, at SACASA. And it's an opportunity for all of the partners in our community to be in one place and celebrate the awareness. What is SACASA? The Sexual Assault I'm going to get this backwards. Southern Arizona Center Against Sexual Assault. Okay. <laughs> uh, I apologize. I start using acronyms a lot. That's okay. Uh, I'll call you out. To. I'm <laughs> yeah. glad you did. Thank you for telling us that. Yes. Okay. This this event, and it's happening at 1600 North Country Club. That is where Sacasa is located. Yes. Okay. And you're going to have uh, speakers. Yes, our county attorney, Laura Conover, is one of the speakers. So she will be there, of course, um, helping lead this crusade. We do have the mayor, Regina Romero, is going to be joining us. There will also be, I believe, Sheriff Nanos is scheduled to attend, as well as Monica Prieto, who's in a chief with the Tucson Police Department, one of their um, 
commanders assistant chief laura help me out yeah yeah. (laughs) assistant chief and she's always been an incredible partner um with with this we were we were there with her last year as well and i think the chair of the board of supervisors adelita grijalva will be there will be there as well but it's such a it's such a wonderful event sherry one of the things that that we talk about a lot at the county attorney's office is that the daily work that tracy mentioned um is is so heavy uh, it's the files in the office are after very serious harm has occurred and so to get a chance to to really spend a lot of time for a whole month out in the community raising awareness and getting a chance to be on the prevention side um is so uplifting um it, you know it, it's such a um a way to sort of heal the soul to to be on the prevention side. And I understand you want everybody to wear teal, a teal ribbon or something teal to represent. Is that, what is the significant about that color? You know, that is the color that has been designated um, for survivors of sex assault. And teal is that really level of awareness. So that's the color that they've chosen to represent sex assault awareness. So this is a national thing that's going on or is this just local? I don't know that the date is a national event, but Sex Assault Awareness Month and the teal semblance is a national Okay, event. yeah. That's what yeah. I was wondering. T- turquoise, you know, for those of us, you know, teal is a fancy, fancy, fancy word. word for you know, turquoise. We could, say, we could say turquoise. We could say aquamarine. <laughs> aquamarine. <laughs> sea foam. Uh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> okay. And the theme for this for 2023 is Tucson. How did you say that? Tucson. Oh, to Sam. So that's not the theme. Yeah, that's actually the Tucson TUC Sex Assault Awareness Month. So that is a website that you can go to that is also supported by SACASA, the Southern Arizona Center Against Sex Assault. So you actually can go to um, to Sam and it gives you a full month of events that are going to be scheduled um, during April. And that's T-U-C-S-A-A-M dot what gov? Dot com. www.tusam.com. And there will be a calendar of events for you that actually will discuss all of the events um, available during the month of April. Yeah, and April 23rd through the 29th is Take Back the Night. What's that one about? Well, we're going to be having an event also um, on, I think, the West Campus of Pima Community College is is hosting us, and there will be an event um, towards the end of the month, um, kind of a bookend uh, type of thing, to uh, continue to just raise awareness. You know, Sherry and, and Tracy will help me get into the weeds here a little bit if you want, but part of raising awareness is increasing services um, and and resources that are, are bilingual, um, getting the message out to survivors that they can get help uh, for free quickly. Um, you know, in the, in the hours after, after a horrible trauma like this, um, you know, it, 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 that's not the time to be trying to, to research how to get, how to get help. And so all of this awareness raises, you know, where you can go um, get emergency care, um, how a, a rape kit can be used um, to in the hours following a trauma and, and, and how to get care immediately. Yeah, people, girls need to understand if you've been assaulted sexually, your body is the crime scene. 
So they need to do a rape kit on you in order to have evidence for trial. That is definitely an important aspect, you know, and I think you said girls, that's the tendency. Everyone goes to girls are sexually assaulted, and we now know that every gender, every race, everyone is a, you know, potential victim of sex assault in our community. Yeah, I and girls, but boys have been sexually absolutely. assaulted as well. Yes. Yeah, no, and, and it's an opportunity to, to raise a couple of points right now, Sherry. That's helpful that um, that it, it is something that affects everyone um and you know female victims are you know get a lot of attention but in particular yesterday was transgender day of visibility um and we know that half of transgendered people will report a sexual assault at some point during their lives um another uh um important point is that um people with a disability are three times more likely to be assaulted uh, than than those without a disability. It, you know, the, these are the most vulnerable communities, uh, populations in our community. Yeah, how many court cases do you have on this? I imagine you're hmm. overwhelmed. Too many. Overwhelmed would be an understatement, yes. Yeah. yeah. There, are, there are a lot of sex assault cases, but the prosecutions that we handle, Sherry, I'm sure are far below. Well, I know they're far below the number of sexual assaults that actually occur at any given time. Not everybody's going to report. That's exactly right. And whether someone chooses to report to the police or not, what this awareness is about in part is ensuring that survivors know where to go to get the resources, whether or not they want law enforcement to be involved. We encourage people to report this. There are people out there, a lot of services in our community who want to be able to help and provide the information they need to be able to heal and understand what their next steps are. If they want law enforcement to be involved and and the prosecution and the justice associated with what's happened with them, there are a number of us standing here available, willing um, and capable of being able to do that for them. What is, if something happens, what is the person's first thing they do? Where do they get this help? What number do they call? 911 is a great start, um, as with any traumatic situation. But someone who has been sexually assaulted, call anyone. Go see anyone, family, friends. Um, Sakasa is, again, a great resource for that. Um, being able to talk with Someone that you trust initially is important. People will, survivors struggle with how to get the information out there. They may blame themselves for what happened. Maybe they were drinking and they believe that something they did contributed to their assault. And that, that makes is, it even more egregious. It absolutely <laughs> does. That's right. And so getting women, men, everyone who has been assaulted to understand and recognize the importance of it not being their fault. They need to report and get the information out there to stop the offenders. That's the other part of this. We want to make sure that survivors find the resources they need to be able to heal. We don't want the offenders to continue to be out there and victimize others. Yeah. And if you're reporting it, you know, you could be the stop that person needs, but if you're not reporting it, they'll be I got away with it. Why not do somebody else? And Sherry, um, you know, the, we always say SACASA, the Southern Arizona Center Against Sexual Assault, because it's because SACASA.org is easy to remember, right? Again, when you're when you're flooded and overwhelmed in a in a trauma situation, 
um, sakasa.org. They have a 24-7 crisis line um, there. And, you know, again, so that you don't, you're not having to memorize any of this. Just sakasa.org um, takes you straight to their 24-hour uh, crisis line at a local Tucson number or an 800 toll-free um, and uh, convenient locations from 8 to 5. So we, we do have a caller on the phone. Kevin, what's on your mind? Hi. Um, can you hear me? I can hear you. Hey, great. Um, hi, my name is Kevin Daly. I'm part of the uh, TucsonCrimeFree.com uh, coalition. And um, uh, great show. Um, just wanted to ask uh, uh, the county attorney, um, you know, we have a, we have a really big drug, drug problem out there, especially fentanyl. And uh, a lot of tragedy and and um, on the street. And I wanted to find out, um, you know, how many felony drug possession cases are being dismissed at arraignment, and how does your office keep any rec- or does your office keep any record of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all of our policies, Mr. Daly, are uh, data driven and solution oriented. Um, and as as you know, um, I provided. Uh, the your organization with um, you know a full data report a couple of months ago we could do that uh, again for you um, this month but you know we're we're already collaborating with you with the chief of police with the sheriff um, in a city and county coordinated way to to go after this um, and right right now mr. Daly um, we're focused heavily this morning on the start of um, April, which is uh, Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Um, what's happening on our streets is extraordinarily important to neighborhoods, small businesses. Um, but we've got to we we have to handle everything, Mr. Daly, including uh, all violent crime and including sexual assault. And we're really grateful to Sherry to have us here to talk about that. Oh, I think that I think you're right. I mean, um, uh, everything is everything is uh, crime is knows no bounds and uh and uh you know all those issues are very important and um on that on that note i wanted to also ask if um uh you know you've been candid in the past uh you know saying that your office does prosecute cases you know lots of cases however the judges um you've mentioned that the uh, judges are a barrier to enforcement can you explain more about this um, I, yeah, that's not a quote that comes from me. Um, I, I know that um, we we have certainly appeared before the Board of Supervisors to talk about challenges that we're facing at initial appearances. That continues to be um, a, a very difficult uh, process. Um, but the court is, is engaging and trying to look at... Um, oversight and uh, criteria about about who is is overseeing our our initial appearances thank you so much for calling in mr daly thank you kevin thanks for listening to the show okay (laughs) we want to we want to continue to talk about um sex crimes and it's not just the physical portion of that there's a emotional part that goes along with that how do girls they they might want to talk to somebody with their emotional portion of it before they get into the physical how do girls know who to trust in that where do they go 
again, uh, sacasa.org will repeat that a lot. They do have uh, counselors 24-7 that are available to talk to anyone who's been victimized by sexual assault. They are going to be able to provide the support, the information for what happens next. They will be there just to listen if that's what someone needs to do, providing those resources for them. If you contact the police department, you do call 911 as a result, you're going to have a victim advocate. We have volunteer victim services advocates from the Pima County Attorney's Office that will be responding as well. And that will be in addition to support through SACASA. So if somebody does call 911, somebody does call 911, do they automatically and they say, you know, I've been sexually assaulted, the police department calls an advocate or somebody who can come to the scene and help them as well? The police department is going to get there first, obviously, and make sure that everyone's safe. And that's the first part of this is if you are a survivor of sex assault, get somewhere safe um, and call someone to help you. Let them know what's happened to you and get the services that you need. But yes, the Tucson Police Department will contact a victim advocate so that they can come to the scene if they are taken to one of the hospitals that provide services, uh, sex assault examinations, then we will have an advocate meet that person at the hospital and stay with them if they would like throughout the examination. SACASA also has advocates that, that perform those functions as well. Do all hospitals perform sex kits or not? So they do not. That's interesting. So you have to know which one to go to. Well, it doesn't, we don't want it to be upon the survivors to figure that out. So if you contact SACASA, there are two hospitals that perform sex assault exams and those are uh, provided by sex assault nurse examiners, SANE examiners. So it's a specialty that nurses have to conduct those examinations. So they have to be trained Yes. Possibly certified mm-hmm. in that type of how, yes. to, how to treat the victim. Yes. Okay, because I've heard some horror stories when having different people on where they say, you know, I went to the hospital and they treated me terribly mm-hmm. and, you know, sat there for hours waiting for, and that's not always the case. We hope that that's not going to be the case. The sex assault nurse examiners aren't necessarily stationed at hospitals, so they're going to get the call. So if there's a call for a survivor at the hospital, those nurses are on call and they will bounce between um, Banner and Tucson Medical Center. So those are the two hospitals where they provide those services. I was going to ask which hospital. (laughs) Right, those two. (laughs) Well, and I, Sherry, I think that this is the beauty of your program right now and, and raising awareness because I think what, what we need to be honest about is that if you have just survived a trauma, um, this is why reporting is low because because it's a flood of of overwhelming um um pain and and grief and and trauma and that's why everyone needs to know how to handle it because we want people to share it with uh call a friend or the school nurse or um or a teacher or a dorm you know roommate and then in that sense it's really the community that needs to know to call 911 um and to help them through it or to go to sacasa.org um because the because the victim is not going to be in a state of mind um all too to often to make rational decisions that's that's right that's right and so it's on it's on us as a community to look out for each other and don't just call 911 if somebody confides in you stay with them right 
say, I'll, I'll be here with you every step of the way. Right. You know, you're not alone. Yes. Because that's really important. Yes. That's a great point. And part of the thing, I'm going to go back to what you said initially, Sherry, and that is the body is the evidence in a sex assault case. There are... Um, as we talked about sex assault nurses that are able to perform those examinations, someone who's been sexually assaulted doesn't have to have law enforcement involved when they go to the hospital and they have that kind of exam. What we would encourage through this awareness as well is regardless of whether you choose to have law enforcement involved, please go get that exam. Make sure that you are um, medically sound There are lots of things that can occur. Let the doctors, let those nurses examine you, provide you with not only the medical piece, but whatever um, perhaps emotional counseling piece that you also need. Then the kit is done and it's there. At a time of crisis, it's not going to be the first thing that you're going to think about. But in the days that follow, in the weeks that follow, or in the months that follow, you may decide as the survivor that the person that did this to you needs to be held accountable. You can then make that kit available to law enforcement, which will go a long way in assisting in any kind of justice in the long run. Who holds the kit? So the kit is held if someone wants to involve law enforcement right away, the kit will go to law enforcement and be held. Otherwise, there is a a site where the kits are held away from law enforcement for, I believe, a period of up to one year where they can talk with the survivors about whether or not they want that kid to go to law enforcement. So you can go get a sex assault examination and tell the nurse that you don't want the police involved and they're not going to make that call. They're going to hold that kit for the survivor. I didn't know that. You learn something new. Every day. Every day. And it's it's important that that option is there because when you've been traumatized you don't necessarily you're not in the sound mind and not really capable of making those decisions but a week or two down the road you might say you know what we need to do something about this I know I'm not the only victim that he's or she whoever it was has so you want to stop these predators and I call them predators they're horrible people well, and it's it's empowering the victim um, by giving options. Um, it's you know it's a, a brilliant orchestration, right? To hold to have two different ways to handle it and and to hold it, um, and that empowers the victim um, and and gives them back some control. Exactly. That's that's amazing. Who came up with that? That was good. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Kudos to them. Yeah. Okay. Other than, you know, what to do in an emergency when something happens like this, some people are afraid that, you know, this person's going to come after them. What protection do you have that's going to keep the victim safe and the predator away from them? Are there any tools in place? So if you call 911 clearly, um, that will be something where the offender should be taken into custody for a sex assault case doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get held but we are allowed at that point to be able to ask the court to enforce orders such as you are not to have contact with the victim and that is an order that can be enforced once you have our victim services staff involved and our advocates are now assisting you can have orders of protection you can get an order of protection regardless of whether you perform uh, report to law enforcement but that is a tool that then if someone violates there is a criminal offense associated with the violation of that order of protection as well 
So there are law enforcement measures to keep survivors safe and to ensure that there are orders that the offender is aware of, knowing that he is not allowed to have any contact with that victim. So typically, if you're going in for an order of protection, you have to be able to explain why you need it. If you're not going to hold the person uh, legally accountable for what they've done, how do you explain that to the judge? You would need to be willing to let the judge know what happened to you. It doesn't mean that the judge or anyone else is going to call law enforcement. It's your reasons for why. So you being able to articulate the reasons why you need that order of protection is going to be something that a person would need to be prepared to do. Now, is there a record of that, why you need it held in the court system, or is some type of a journal or file? There are records. That's not public record? There are records for orders of protection. That's a good question, Sherry, as far as which portions of the order are actually made public. Right. Parts of the order are enforced. There are other parts I don't believe that are made available to the public, but I would have to verify that. Okay, because you'd want to be able to say, yes, I want order of protection, but not make it publicly announced why, because that could just be just as damaging and and dangerous for the victim. Having any kind of order in place by the courts, keeping offenders away from their victims and survivors is an important aspect. I wouldn't want someone to not seek measures that at least have some teeth in them by law enforcement right. um, because of their concern that something you know might go public or whatever the situation is. Survivors anyone really going to get orders of protection, talking to victim advocates, they have the ability to ask all of the questions they want. And those would be ones that they could certainly ask if they are getting the orders of protection. Who is going to know this information? Is it going to be public? Those kinds of things. And does the person that the order of protection is against or on, do they have to be notified? They have to be served with that order so that they know that it's enforceable. And it's a good idea not to serve it yourself. <laughs> so with that, we're going to take a quick break and be back in a few. There are so many creative scams going on in the Medicare industry that we at Law Matters can barely keep up. We have asked an expert in this arena to filter facts from fiction. If you have questions or concerns, please call Jimmy Stewart at 520-247-2464. He is a licensed professional who can bring clarity to the constant flux in this complex industry. That's Jimmy, 247-2464. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. Daylight is fading and the temperature is dropping. You're not only cold, hungry, and lost in a densely wooded area, you're injured. Time is of the essence. Sarsi is a highly trained team of dedicated volunteers who work closely with Pima County Search and Rescue to help people in critical situations just like this. 
To join an exclusive team of heroes, go to sarci.org. That's S-A-R-C-I dot org. We need your knowledge, experience, and of course, your generous spirit. Law Matters Live show opens lines of communication between you and law enforcement. On our next show, we talk with Josh and Kevin from the Tucson Crime-Free Coalition. So get your questions ready and call in at 790-2040. Law Matters is asking you to help sponsor our mission by contributing on lawmatters1030.org. Every dollar counts, and together we can back the blue while we keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest today is Pima County Attorney Laura Conover, and Tracy has a big title. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a prosecutor. Let's just, that's that's the title I love, so there we go. (laughs) And we were talking about, you know, this being the Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and there's a whole bunch of activities going on. If you weren't aware of them, Tracy's going to give us a, a rundown on what we can do this month. So today, Sherry, is a big event. It's the Family Fun Fair that is uh, out there on behalf of the Children's Advocacy Center. The Southern Arizona Children's Advocacy Center here is hosting that event. And there are going to be almost 40 different um, partners in our community that deal with child abuse um, as well as domestic violence. So if you are a survivor of any of those, we're going to have a bunch of participants that are going to be at Reed Park today from 9 to 1. Um, and that's where Laura and I will be after this event this morning is heading out there. Um, they are going to have bouncy houses, food giveaways, face painting, all kinds of fun stuff for the I kids. I want to see you in the bouncy house. <laughs> I would be happy. I will, I will be there. It sounds like it's going to be lots of fun. And their color is purple. So... Uh, so D- domestic violence. Yes, dom- domestic violence is purple. That is true. And then also April is Child Abuse Awareness Month. So that's the reason for the Family Resource Event today. And their color is blue. So everyone has a color. Mm-hmm. There'll be a rainbow mm-hmm. out there. Yes, yes, there Absolutely. will be. So that's going to be today at Reed Park again, nine to noon for anyone who wants to come out and join us. We've talked about the kickoff event at Sakasa on April 5th. The University of Arizona is hosting their own Sex Assault Awareness Month resource fair on Monday, April 17th. And then a really fun event that we all enjoy participating in every year is Dine Out for Safety, and that is Wednesday, April 19th. There are a host of restaurants that will contribute to um, Sakasa if you dine out at their restaurant that night and now typically in one of those you have to either bring a a slip saying this is for this charity and hand it to them before you sit down is that how it is or are they just going to blanket it because so i would encourage people who want to participate there is dineoutforsafety.org if you go there it's going to give you all of the information or again sacasa.org that's going to give you all the information for the restaurants and who it is that you're going to be or or how it is that you're going to need to be able to show that you're there to support that organization okay all right because you need to know that before you go. Yeah, that's it's a fun night. And and sacasa.org has um all the restaurants listed that are participating and so you can you can choose and go out and and part of the proceeds will go um will go to survivors of sexual assault. Very cool. 
And what else? We do have, so Victims Rights Week, National Crime Victims Rights Week begins on Sunday, April 3rd and goes through Saturday, the 29th. You had talked, Sherry, about the event of Take Back the Night, and that actually occurs on April 25th. Um, So that is something that is the um, for National Victims Crimes Week. Then we have Denim Day, which is April 26th, which is always fun, especially if you work in a professional office to be able to wear jeans to work that day. That's right. Um, And then we also have our teal shirts. So there was some fundraisers associated with uh, Tucson's uh, Sex Assault Awareness Month, and we'll be wearing t-shirts and denim jeans on April 26th. That is Denim Day again, another way for you to support sex assault awareness. Are you going to wear that in court? I would love to be able to wear that in court. I'm not sure the judges would be on board as much as we want to be able to support that. But in the office, I absolutely will be. That's right. Tell me, explain this take back the night. What are you taking back besides the night? What What is the point, the purpose? Well, I, th- I think it's a, it goes back to that theme we were talking about before about sort of taking, like empowering and taking back control. Um, you know, a lot of... of the frustration and fear around this is is not feeling safe at night not feeling um uh you know especially especially for women and coming out of that historically and all of the vulnerable populations we you know it's sort of an empowering of of being together and feeling empowered and and taking back the night so are these events all at night um certainly the the take back the night event is um and and I think again, sacasa.org um, will give you all the information. Can you made. spell out that? Yeah, that? I sure. Yeah, I sure will. It's it's S A C A S A. So in, in that sense, it's Southern Arizona Casa Sacasa.org. Sacasa.org. Everybody should be writing it down and checking yeah. it out because yeah. I have a whole calendar right of right. events and restaurants to go to on the nineteenth. I'll yeah. be going. Yes, good. Yeah, everything we're talking about is listed out there and on the calendar, so it's it's great. Can you name some of the restaurants? I can if you give me one second. We'll have to we'll pull, <laughs> okay. we'll pull up the web. You. I want to be able website. to pull up. Let's see here. Let's see how quickly I can get to this information. Okay, here we go. Uh, participating restaurants for 2023. Barrio Charo, Charo Vida, Crooked Tooth. El Charo's Downtown Cafe, El Charo's Oro Valley location, El Charo's Ventana location, Feast, mm. Gourmet Girls, Gluten-Free, Bakery Bistro, Laco, Tucson, which is downtown, Mama Luisa's Italian Restaurant, Noble Hops at Reed Park, Noble Hops in Oro Valley, Riley Craft Pizza and Drink, The Monica, Vero Amore on Swan, Vero Amore in Dove Mountain, and Yellow Brick coffee the benedictine those are the participating restaurants and that one's on country club it is yeah they just did a thing on the news about it It says do you know it's there and say yeah i pass it it's (laughs) (laughs) It's right there you have lots of choices so plan on going out to dinner that night and each of those will donate a percentage of the profits to survivors of sex assault that's a great list yeah that's awesome yeah. That's something that everybody needs to do on the 19th. What day is the 19th? you have a calendar Wednesday. there? Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday the 19th. Okay. Wednesday. Everybody eat out. Yeah. Okay. 
want to talk about some of the court cases that you've had that have been successful regarding this because I think some people feel you go to court, you go through all this, you're humiliated, you have to relive the whole experience in the courtroom, and then nothing happens. Tell me what happens after a successful court case. There is the aspect of survivors needing to be able to tell the jury what happened to them in the courtroom. And Sherry, I will tell you that through my career, one of the probably most rewarding moments is when you have a survivor on the stand who is able to sit in the courtroom with her attacker, not that far away, far enough that they're going to be safe, where they're able to tell a jury what that person did to them. That person can't talk. They can't do anything to them in those moments. And they're able to share what this person has done to them. The impact, not just what happened, but the impact of what happened. Exactly. And you watch survivors who take the stand and they're absolutely nervous, um, afraid. And our advocates, our prosecutors, we work very hard to make sure that they understand what that process is going to look like so they know that the nervousness and the fear and some of the things that they walk up to that witness stand with are going to exist. To see that melt away by the end of their testimony, to watch them walk off that stand as if there has been a load lifted off of their shoulders is tremendous. And when a jury comes back into that courtroom and they find the defendant guilty of what they have done, That is the moment unlike any other for a survivor to have survived not just the trauma from that one night or series of nights, whatever it may have been, but to be able to have a jury of 12 people believe what they've said and now have a judge be able to hold that person accountable. That's huge. And it's really, really impactful, not just for the survivor, but for everyone to understand that this is someone who is no longer going to be able to do this to other people. What kind of jail sentence are you talking about, typical? So for sex assault here in Arizona, if it is your first offense, it is a prison only. If you are convicted of a count of sex assault, you're looking at a minimum of five and a quarter years in prison, up to 14 years. And if there are multiple counts of sex assault, multiple sex acts that were committed, multiple charges, multiple victims, all of those have to be run consecutive to one another. So if you have three counts of sex assault and you're convicted of all of those, you're looking at three times five and a quarter up to 14 years, depending upon what the judge gives you. So it's a significant impact. When the person is eventually let out of jail, is the victim notified? Yes, as long as they participate and stay engaged, they let the Department of Corrections know and they will absolutely be notified of that person's release. Someone who's convicted of sex assault in the state of Arizona, Sherry, is going to have to register as a sex offender. So that will be another way that the community will be able to, you know, keep track of these people so that we know uh, where they are. Sex offender, being registered as a sex offender, is that a national database or is it just a local state thing? I don't know 
how national it is, I do know that sex offenders are tracked. So if you are convicted of an offense here in Arizona and you move to another state, if that state does have requirements that you register as a sex offender there, they will also be required to register there. So here in Arizona, for example, if you were convicted in another state and you move to Arizona, we have statutes in place that are going to require those folks to also register here if the offense they were convicted of is like a sexual assault. And isn't it restricted where they can live in that, like you can't live by a school or, you you know, it's restricted where you can actually be. So there's different levels of sex offenders, but yes, that it that would be one of the requirements depending upon your level uh, of what you were sex charged offense, with, what you were convicted of. Yeah, so essentially that's going to matter. So there's different levels for sex offenders in the community, and then there will be restrictions that will be placed on some of those offenders. So they have to, if they don't register, they're in trouble if they get caught again. It is another felony offense if you fail to register as a sex offender. Yes. Yeah, just to, I mean, to put a point on that, it's a new felony offense, just the failure, just the failure, failure to, to register, it. right? And what kind of jail time does the new felony offense have about? It, it's going to be a lower level felony, so you're going to be looking at even potentially probation being available for that, depending upon the circumstances. Really, what we want is for offenders, once they're caught, to go register. Once you're registered, you're in the system again for another year. And that's really what we're hoping, is to be able to keep track of where these people are in our community. That's ultimately what we would like to be able to do. Yeah, that's that's important to keep track of them. <laughs> Otherwise, they're just running amok. And that's not a good thing. So do you, have, um, do you still have the puppies, the service dogs that go to court with you? I, I was I was going to mention that Sherry. Thank you for asking. Um, when when Tracy's talking about a survivor having to you know speak before a jury, um, there's so much preparation that goes into that. And our victim services division is just incredible. The advocates that are working there. We also still have um, two courthouse dogs. Um, Baja and Arrow and um, you know of course they're our favorite um, four pod employees but Sherry I'll, I, I always say this and explain this they are also incredibly important in in providing strength and comfort in order to get your get your words out so to speak I very briefly I I ended up keeping a first degree murder case that had come back on appeal and the mother wrote a letter um, that but couldn't couldn't speak it about about the loss of her son and couldn't read it out loud in court and arrow just um, sitting on on our feet under the table of of me and um, the young man's sister so that we could read the letter out you know our blood pressure went back to normal um our heart rate it's it it's a it's a science as much as different as much as they're adorable and we love them um there's there's a science behind it and it's it's incredible yeah and i i've heard of you know we'll tell the puppy what happened to you Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna sit here you tell the puppy what happened to you right and it works the courthouse dogs are an amazing aspect to what we do, and it certainly does help calm survivors when they are in the courthouse. Yeah. So what last-minute things do we need to know about what's going on with everything 
this month and what else do people need to know about um, this awareness? They need to be aware. I, I find it amazing how many times I talk to people and they're totally unaware of how things work or that this is even happening, sex abuse, uh, sex extortion. No, not my kid. I'm going, yeah, well, <laughs> come to the meeting. <laughs> you know, you'll learn so much. What else should people, you find that people are really naive about when it comes to this topic? It, you know, I think I think like anything, Sherry, um, until it happens to you, right, there is just sort of a... Um, Arms it, length. It, yeah, that, that it's happening to someone else somewhere else. It's on TV. Right, and... and we do we want to be ready in case a loved one or even a stranger approaches us in the moments after a horrible trauma um and so i can you know i can repeat it again s a c a s a dot org sakasa dot org um because you're going to need to be the strong you know cool calm and collect mind um, if your neighbor, if your loved one, if whoever has just been assaulted. And it, you know what? The phone number, you said it's 24 7. That's right. It Put is. that phone number in your phone. Well, absolutely. Right. So Along you with have 911. Right. 911 yeah. for for um, emergencies, for a law enforcement response. 988 for a, a mental health crisis when you want a medical response um, and sacasa.org when um, for a 24-hour crisis line. So keep that in mind when, you know, you're talking to people or parents, you've got kids in school, you don't know what's going on. This is This is a resource for you and everybody should be aware of it. We're going to be hosting a movie with a Q&A afterwards on sextortion later on during the year. So we want people to be aware of that. And we're going to put some information on our events page. And Arizona Gives Day is coming up. We'd like you to think of Law Matters when you're giving because we are a 501c3. That's right. And what else? You were going to say something. No, I'm no? just going to echo you on that. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also going to start classes on Don't Be a Victim. And this is a class, it's a four-hour class, and you can get certified for taking it. And don't forget, the 19th is the Eat Out Day. It mm -hmm. is Dine Out for Safety, Support Sexual Assault Awareness. And don't forget to go to Reed Park today. It's going to be a beautiful day out. Yes, please join us at Reed Park. That bouncy house will be waiting. Adults and kids, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all welcome. Right. I, right. I want a picture. I want a picture of this. That's right. <laughs> and U of A is going to hold uh, an event and I think it's really important that the U of A holds these events. I've always wondered why the RAs weren't required to take certain classes about sex trafficking and all this stuff to be aware of what's going on in their, their houses. Mm. They should be doing that. The university does have a program and they do have sex assault nurses and, and we are... On staff there? We do have, yes. Okay. So we actually have advocates. They are part of our uh, monthly get-togethers and we are very pleased to have the U of A be participating in the Sex Assault Awareness Month. Very cool. And don't forget, we have an internship program here at Law Matters. And I'm going to throw this question out to the listeners. What would you do to curb gun violence? Not just locally, but across the country. Go to our, our website, lawmatters1030.org. Our contact information is on there. Send me an email. Tell me what your thoughts are on how to curb gun violence because we know Congress isn't going to do anything. 
Mm. I, you know, I'm, I've given up waiting. Mm. So until then, see you at the park today. And till next week, shop local, stay safe. 